black poetry is not what Shakespeare begot. Nor is it one with Tennyson. Its psychedelic beats have little in common with Shelley and Keats. It has its own diameter. Not iambic pentameter. It has upon it... No rule of sonnets. No straight-laced corset. Nothing to force it. It shrieks. It streaks. It melts. It melts. It sings. It swings. It cries. It laughs. In verses or in paragraphs. It grooves. It moves. It's canny. Giovanni. It's a brand new school. Both, Both hot, hot and cool. cool. A, a blues, blues beat. Bittersweet is deep, deep blue, bright red, high yellow, is loud, is proud, it's a wilder strum, a super drum, sets up its own condition, defies tradition, it shocks, it rocks, it mocks, it knocks, it's humor, drama, it talks about your mama, it's love, it's dissension, it's a brand new dimension, it's many, many tracks, so come, sit down with me and spiel and spat and so rap. And free beneath this looming, blooming, black, 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 black poetry. <laughs> Hello and welcome. This is episode one of my podcast cultural capital theory and theater arts. Episode one, we're going to be talking about diversity. What you just heard is uh, from an old California newsreel documentary. It's called Black Theater, The Making of a Movement. And the actors that you heard reciting that dialogue, uh, they are Ossie Davis and Ruby Dee, two prominent and quite well-known African-American actors, both from theater, the American stage scene, as well as television and film. The uh, documentary is in the companion blog to this podcast episode. So if you are um, on my blog and podcast, if you click on episode one, uh, if you scroll down a bit, the video is embedded into the blog. And uh, it's interesting. It goes over sort of the Black American actors' experience post-World War II, uh, how things changed from the 40s, 50s, into the 60s, before we get to the civil rights era of the mid to late 1960s, which is what we're going to talk about today in this episode. So diversity in theater, racial diversity, equity in terms of um, opportunities for actors, directors, producers, designers, um, and students, and students of color, whether they're uh, Black, Hispanic, Asian. Um, this is something we will be talking about throughout this series is uh equity, diversity, opportunity, and about starting a conversation. And for this episode, uh, I wanted to highlight an academic journal, which I found very interesting uh, and really fits in well with my interview in the latter portion of this podcast. The Donna Forsgren wrote an article for Theater History Studies, and it is titled, Black Folks Theater to Black Lives Matter, The Black Revolution on Campus. Forsgren lays out for us the landscape of how things looked on American college campuses in the late 1960s. And she goes in depth, uh, quite in depth, uh, in the Midwest 
Uh, and in the 1968, 1969, she was looking at Northwestern University and Black Folks Theater, how that got started, why it got started. So in the late 1960s, students were fighting for um, equality in terms of opportunities on campus, uh, student housing. They were fighting for scholarship opportunities, the same as their peers. And uh, of course, uh, the black student population was nowhere near what the white student population was. They did not have as uh, as easy access or in some cases any access to some opportunities uh, academically. So that is, as we know, the story of of the civil rights era that was in the 1960s. Uh, a lot of things were very segregated, even um, when you get away from the southeastern portion of this country in the Midwest and uh, a university such as Northwestern, which is quite well known, um, and if you go there, the opportunities that you think would open up for you when you graduate, uh, it was different depending on uh, who you were and what your background was. And so Forrest Green goes into that, and uh, which is great. This documentary, the Aussie Davis one that I played at the start of this podcast, if you watch that video and you listen to Mr. Davis and he talks about what his experience was as an actor post-World War II and how things changed, especially with up-and-comers like Langston Hughes um, and Lorraine Hansberry, who was a playwright. So poets, playwrights, um, those who were making art with their words and uh, the landscape changed and it wasn't how it was in the 40s where, you know, they're talking about in the documentary how, you know, we're all one because of that war effort and the camaraderie that that brought um, among all Americans. And the war ended and people came home and, and then um, it kind of things drifted back to the animosity, the inequity, um, the discrimination, the harassment, and so on. So... Um, Forsgren's article goes um, quite in depth into what was happening at Northwestern. So she sets the stage. Okay, so here's what's going on. Um, these students are fighting and they're protesting. And the question becomes, how do we effectively protest? And they get involved with the Black Arts Movement and the Black Folks Theater is formed. So the Black Folks Theater is a way for um, black artists, theater artists, students to perform, to protest, to advocate, and to really shine a light on the experiences that uh, black Americans on college campuses are experiencing, feeling, and trying to uh, to facilitate change from the at the administrative level to having access to scholarship opportunities. So things are building up and building up all over this country from 1968 to 1969, this arts movement um, is really under the umbrella of the Black arts movement. And so there's a lot of support for them. Uh, and into the early 1970s, this goes on. And when we get from the 70s into the 80s and into the 90s, um, Forrest Green really talks about how the culture that's there, the cultural capital, right, that we're talking about, um, it's about you have people that push through and and they establish themselves. It's about um, casting um, certain artists and and they gain notoriety and fame and and they kind of break that you know the glass ceiling. They break barriers and they get through and they become mainstream and successful. 
And so on the surface level, you, you would look at that and go, okay, so it's a, it's better. You would think it's better. Um, there's more integration in our arts, but Forsgren points out when we come to the present that in a lot of ways, things are still segregated. And so at the beginning of her article, she's, we're in the 1960s at Northwestern. Then we kind of gravitate here. We go through time and we end up in 2015 at the University of Missouri, Mizzou. And what we have are young black men who are having um, encounters with law enforcement, for lack of a better way of describing it. And they're losing their lives. These young men are losing their lives. And there is an anger and there's a need and a want for people to protest. And that includes students on campus at the University of Missouri, Mizzou. And this really starts with Michael Brown. But then, uh, as you know, the last several years, um, Michael Brown to George Floyd to Breonna Taylor, it's there are more and more names. It's not just one incident. It's just it's many incidences that have been occurring over the last several years. So uh, Forrest Green assesses what is happening on college campuses now. So even though we live in a more mixed society, things are not outright segregated. But if you look at the numbers, uh, University of Missouri, Mizzou, still instances of harassment, still instances of bullying and, uh, and intimidation. Uh, the numbers are still not anywhere near um, representative of the society that we live in, that uh, there are a lot more African-Americans in our society versus who is enrolled on college campuses. So uh, in those ways, we haven't seen progress uh, in the way that we should. It's been 50 some odd years. It's been longer than that. But when we when we kind of make the marker at from the civil rights era and we go to present day, what has changed and where do we need to see improvement? And that's where theater is at at this point. How do we improve? So those that fought in the 60s for opportunities and used theater to to facilitate change, to demand change, Okay, so that change, what is it? Is it enough? Did did things go backwards? Is did was there sort of a plateau and and things stopped progressing? What's going on? That cultural capital. How do we bring in that diversity? How do we maintain it? How do we grow it? How do we provide a platform for for protest for those that have a need to protest on college campuses? Where is their stage time? Where what are they going to perform? Is it original works? Are there writers out there that have been produced? Are students not being taught those the works of those writers? And then what does that do? How does that enhance the artists? How does that enhance the learning institutions? And how does that advanced society? What's the valorization? What, what does that do? How does, uh, how do these works, um, impact the cultural capital of a community, whether the community is the college campus 
or the community at large, the the city that the college, you know, these college towns where there are so many people that live there besides faculty and students, but the community itself that, you know, the regular working folks that are raising their kids that live in a college town and you would think you live in a college town, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of diversity. There's a lot of different thoughts and ideas. And even when you're not in school, that's the town you live in and, and you would be exposed to that. And that increases your cultural capital. So that's where Forrest Grin takes us on this journey of, um, the civil rights era, and what it's like for Black artists in America. We come now to the interview portion of this podcast, and I interviewed Chris Kataoka. He is the theater manager of the Curtis Theater in Brea, California. And he has an interesting program that he is starting, and it's called Amplify. And Amplify is a program that is, uh, it is defined as a forum for marginalized voices. And it's created for artists from underrepresented communities, and it's to be presented on a regular basis at the Curtis Theater stage. So our interview, we talked at length, this is really about institutional change. This is not a one-off. This is not just, um, you know, the pandemic. So many theaters were really had to look inward and and assess where they were at and where they could improve. And uh, so talking to Chris and talking about Amplify, this group uh, that he has started and it's launching, it's really about instituting um, a culture change within how they view what to produce, who to hire, what works to commission, and it's about starting a conversation. And that's one thing I have to say that you will notice every episode, the word conversation comes up, and not just because this is a podcast, but how theater professionals are seeking to diversify, expand, and uh, and grow in ways that they recognize need to happen. Uh, but also recognizing that it's more than just one person's idea and this is how you do it. Just like this podcast. I would never prescribe this is how we must do this in theater to survive and grow and thrive. It's about a conversation and it's about uh, examining what comes up in this journey of this podcast and the blog that comes with it. So that is the common theme I think you will notice in these episodes. But uh, without further ado, here is my interview with Chris Kataoka. Thank you. So I am with Chris. Chris, I have everyone I interviewed introduce themselves, mm-hmm. uh, where they work, their title. And then if you can explain that for people who are not as in tune with theater and how it works, what does your job description or job title mean? Oh, first of all, my name is Chris Kataoka. I am the uh, theater manager of the Curtis Theater for the city of Brea. Um, my official title is supervisor. That doesn't mean much to a lot of people, especially in the theater world. So I say theater manager because that's basically what that is. And what that entails is um, we do a lot of uh, rentals. We do a lot of our own season. Uh, we do a, a, we have a robust youth theater program. So it's kind of wrangling all of that, um, making sure we're staffed, making sure all the paperwork's in order. Uh, you know, all the fun stuff, all the reasons I got into theater, really. Right. All the paperwork. Yeah. Uh, so you sort of, your audience is very diverse in that way. 
um, and we're going to get to diversity, but in terms of who you service, it's the community and it's really all ages and all over the spectrum of what their interests are, right? For sure. One of our primary functions um, is uh, we are part of the community services department of the city of Brea. Uh, so one of our primary functions is to serve the community um, and in doing that is uh, providing a, a space for you know people who want to do um, their own events in our space. Uh, we could we provide rentals uh, for that. We could do, um, like I mentioned, we do our own season. So we, we present you know a, a wide variety of entertainment for a wide range of people in the community uh, every year. Uh, and then our youth theater program is uh, specific, specifically designed to serve the youth of the the um, city of Brea. Uh, not that we don't have um, you know kids participate from elsewhere, but it is primarily. Um, the, the people from uh, that are residents of Bray get a, a special rate on just about anything they do. So, um, yeah, that's uh, that's what we do. Yeah, like really plugged into like the school system, the school schedule, and all that. You kind of are. Yeah, with that. exactly. Yeah, we do a big one in the winter in January when there's not much going on for school, and then one in July when all the kids are on summer break. Yeah. So it really kind of works out. Awesome. Um, so what we're talking about, and really the study, and we've been looking at various case studies, is. Uh, how bringing cultural capital to theater is great and the way we define it uh, with our case study and we're sort of extrapolating with various examples is how um, it's what an artist brings that's unique and different and gives it to the audience and the audience then takes that and it changes their perspective, it changes their view and it adds to their cultural capital um, because they've experienced this live event. And so the reason I wanted to talk to you today was uh, there's been a lot going on in theater, in the arts in general, but especially in theater, um, from theaters themselves and also theaters that are associated with colleges and theater departments in terms of diversity and changing what's produced, what's presented, um, and who really has an opportunity to, to just put their art out there. And so one of the interesting things to come out of this getting back to the world of performance after the shutdown was uh, Amplify. And so I just wanted to read a little snippet. Um, Amplify, which we'll get into a program here at the Curtis, the objective is to provide a platform and an outlet for performing artists of all kinds from underserved groups, including but not limited to Black, Indigenous, people of color, Asian American, and Pacific Islander, pan-ethnic women, persons with disabilities, and LGBTQIA plus communities. Um, Someone who may not be familiar with this area might say, it's California. There's all kinds of people everywhere. Can you explain why Amplify is needed? Uh, Amplify is needed in, um, well, I think programs like this are needed in, in all aspects of the arts, but uh, specifically for us in Brea, um, we've always tried to be as diverse as possible. We, obviously, we never turn anybody away for any, any reasons, but um, there's definitely a dearth of diversity in the uh, North Orange County area. Uh, I mean, if you even if you just do uh, look at um, auditions for any show that anybody tries to do in, in the area, you get primarily white people. And, and that's fine, but we need to try to incorporate as many other uh, communities as possible, I think, and especially uh, now, just the, the social climate and um, Kind of paired with having just gone through the pandemic, um, we had a lot of time to sit and think about it and really analyze what we could do, what we had to offer, uh, and how we could uh, bring people together. Um, so yeah, it's it's definitely something that we 
we're focusing on and it's you know like anything we're run by a city government so it takes a, it takes a while to get anything off the ground and so we've had a good long time to think about it to go through the right channels and i think to to do it right which was uh, important we didn't want to you know to do this haphazardly so yeah. we um we we put a lot of effort and a lot of time and and you know reach out to a lot of people just to make sure we were getting this on the right page so um i think it's important um really trying to make this so it's part of um it's not just a a, a thing we're doing it's it's we're integrating these artists and these uh, performances and these voices into our season to, to you know give them a, a platform give them a stage give them you know, shine a light on them and um, um hopefully the the byproduct of that is expanding our audience right and i think that uh, it's really great to point out it's helpful to point out everything bounces i think it's helpful to point out that when you say um, it's very hard to make something happen in the city. It's one, the bureaucracy of it. But even with the best of intentions, because of really this effort hasn't been done before, this concerted planned effort, not just a one-off, if a theater like the Curtis or anyone in the area were to say, you know what, we're going to do a Raisin in the Sun, a very important piece of theater, um, you know, it, it's, it's a really great perspective of an African-American playwright. Uh, it's and all um, cast African-American characters, it would be great diversity. But the reality of that situation is if you don't really have outreach to audiences, the problem becomes you hold auditions, and if you can't fill the role, it's not necessarily for lack of we don't want to do it, but if you haven't done that groundwork, it's really hard then to make that that wish, that objective to be diverse happen, right? Yeah, you hit a nail on the head there. We, we um because I mentioned doing shows, doing auditions, things like that. Um, yeah, it's not that we don't want to. It's just that we just don't, a lot of times we don't get the people to, to fill those roles. Um, and so by doing something like Amplify, my goal is to to have, you know, outreach to uh, communities of artists that we haven't reached before. That I mean, There's people that live, have lived in the city for 30 years that don't know we exist. And so we're, we're trying to fix that, you know, on on that level too. But like even... For people that that aren't necessarily from the, the immediate community, um, we want to you know branch out and reach out to those people that may not have heard of us, and we want to give them you know let them know that we're here and like give them a, a, a space to to do their thing. So yeah, the we hope to build audiences, we hope to build awareness, we hope to you know it's really a, a symbiotic relationship. We're, we're you know by giving artists a, a voice and a chance and a place, we are then building awareness for what we do so uh, it, it's really a, a two-way street and that i mean it's, it's a brand new uh, program so we don't know exactly how it's going to play out but that's the goal is to is to, is to let as many people know as possible that we're, what we're doing here now when this is an idea and implementing it and it really is a cultural change it's not like a one-off like let's have a, a night of you know different performances that you'll never see again everyone in their head will have an idea of what that looks like can you kind of sort of go into what the positive of that is or the or the obstacles of what that is other people's uh, assumptions opinions what are you navigating right now as you are getting you're soliciting people to join this advisory board well we don't know what it's going to look like and so i think that is kind of uh, as scary as that is, it's also kind of a strength. Like, there's no rules. We we are open to anything and everything. So I, I didn't. I specifically didn't say you know put um, types of art 
and the in the call for artists. Uh, we might throw some suggestions out there because we're literally looking for anything. If you have a you know dancer or a slam poet or <laughs> whatever you got, and you, know, you have somebody that does you know painting. I mean, this is really more for performing performing artists. But um, you know, if someone has that incorporated into what they do, we'll take a look at it. You know, um, that's one thing that we uh, we did. Um, to set this up, we set up an advisory board that um, will then take these submissions that we're getting, go through them, and and help narrow it down uh, to a few selections. Because uh, otherwise, it'd just be me doing it, and that's then we're back to square one. Like, right. <laughs> like the whole point was to get people to you know branch out and reach out, and so by having these. Uh, these people on this uh, advisory board, it really acts as uh, they act as ambassadors to for the program and, and reach out to other people. So, um, yeah, we didn't limit it to any uh, community. We didn't limit it to any type of art. Um, so expectations are are we don't know what to expect. You know, right. we're kind of expecting the unexpected, as lame as that sounds. Um, we're we're really open to whatever comes to the door, and so um, we're getting a lot of. Things that I hadn't even thought of. People are submitting plays, which, you know, I hadn't considered. Like, maybe, yeah, maybe we could do like a stage meeting or, or something like that. You know, right. um, that um, you know, I, when I was putting together, I didn't have that as an idea, but that seems to be something that people want to do. So we'll we'll take a look at that and see if that's going to fit with this, the the program. So, yeah. excellent. And and I think it's important to point out too that not only is this the Curtis part of the community, you were kind of in this area where. It's not actually in Brea, but it's really a college town in that there are many colleges with performing arts emphasis. Mm -hmm. um, Brea is right next to, it's on the county line, so it's really commutable to downtown LA. So it's really, you. there's a lot of talent out there, and it really is just shining a light on whether you're an actor, director, producer, choreographer, whatever it is, that there's an opportunity. Yeah. Um, so with that, sort of the outline of what this, uh, with the what Amplify is, and and really becoming part of the fabric of the theater. So there's uh, four areas I'd like to ask you to comment on, mm -hmm. and just sort of where it's at for you right now, because that's the whole point of this. It's about not being exact, like this is the definitive answer now and forever and always. And the whole point of this and exploring all these various examples and cases is about how there needs to be flexibility in the arts um, and through cultural capital. So uh, taking the temperature of something right now versus this fact will live in an Excel sheet forever and will never change. Mm -hmm. So the first one is maintaining diverse cultural capital. So how do you see Amplify uh, maintaining it? So you have a vision for it. Um, do you? So I would think since you have a board, do you imagine that's something that will always be part of uh, Amplify? Um, what do you see? How do you see it maintaining cultural capital? Uh, I think it was designed to be fluid. Mm -hmm. um, by having the uh, the advisory board that uh, we will, it'll be. Uh, I mean, some people might return, but we haven't set that up if it's going to be um, something that they, they serve for a year, two years, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, we're still figuring that out. But um, it, there is a, a group of people who aren't me that are interested in the arts, mm -hmm. um, you know, members of various communities. Uh, and so um, we'll be uh, exploring you know, not only different artists, but different people to, be able to serve on that board. So right. with that, like I think that automatically kind of brings a new... Um, New dimensions into what we're looking for and what we're looking at. What's because I don't know everything that's out there. Right. And, um, so by bringing a, a diverse group of people in, 
uh, and then having them go out and, and reach out. Hopefully, it changes all the time. Like We don't want to lock anything. We don't want to set anything in stone. All we want to do is provide a, a time and a space and, and, right. and compensation for, for artists. Um, uh, and whatever that looks like in the future, that's great. And I think that's really great, too, is, is because organizations are always, especially nonprofits, always need to make the case. And so they have to, in some way, speak convincingly, if not in absolutes, but, but with certainty. So it's nice that there is this, well, we don't know, we're flexible, so that it can form however it needs to. And with however many people, like you said, people might come and go on the advisory board or might make a place for themselves for a while, yeah. depending on, on their experience and, and you know how they navigate it and what they make of it themselves. Yeah, we didn't, even the number of people on the board, we did not set a number um, yeah. because we don't want to limit the number of voices. So people want, we have seven currently for this, this season. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, when we put the call out for, for people to submit for the board, we didn't put a number on it. And so, um, we, uh, we took anyone who was like seriously interested in it. And, and, you know, I talked to everybody and they had, they, uh, part of the application process was having to explain why they think they should be on it and how they can serve their community, um, and how we can help them do that. Uh, so we, we will, you know, always be looking for people that want to participate, and um, there's there's no there's no rules here. <laughs> like, right. you know, you know, at first, I was a little uh, afraid um, when we first started talking about this that you know, we didn't know there were so many variables that we just did not know, um, right. and that is scary. And so, you know, when you're starting a new program like this as, and trying to be as visible as we are and transparent as we are, um, that's scary. Having a lot of things that we actually don't know, but we've kind of turned that into a positive thing. It was like. Yeah, we don't know because we don't want to have preconceived notions of what this should be. This we want to let you know the communities speak to us. So, right. um, so that's where we landed on that. Awesome, and and it kind of feeds into my second question, which you answered of building new cultural capital. And I think you said it right there mm -hmm. is is letting what the artists and and those who want to be on the board what they have to bring to the table. And I think it's really great too, is in a leadership position. If you can speak to that of, yeah, it's really being a leader, but not setting forth, okay, here are my expectations, or this is what it needs to be. It's really letting these people take the opportunity, and and the theater, your space will accommodate that and, and let them be whatever it is that it's going to end up being. Yeah, I mean, in a leadership role, the, the job is to surround yourself with good people who uh, you know love what they do and are, are capable and competent, um, which, you know, I, that's what I'm just trying to do here. Mm -hmm. um, my job is to set set the parameters. I mean, uh, as much as we want to keep this fluid and keep this open to anything, there are you know time and budget constraints that, that we have to consider. My job is to make it as available as as conceivably possible, um, right. and so that's what we're doing with this one. We have we we've found some dates on the calendar, uh, evenly spaced out through the whole year to to highlight uh, people for this program. Awesome. My third question is. Um, can you comment on cultural capital? Oftentimes, artists will express themselves um, in terms of their political awareness, social resistance, things that are um, a little bit more than, let's say, like the Romeo and Juliet boy and girl fall in love and are kept separated. So, how how are you? How does this navigate that? How is it? Um, or or does it? You know, uh, we definitely didn't want to censor people. Um, that was, you know, if you're starting 
if you start to censor art, you start getting into trouble mm -hmm. uh, if you're trying to be as open and, and transparent as possible. That being said, we do try to keep everything as, as family friendly as possible. Um, not that we can do things, we, we can't do things that are outside of that, you know, maybe a little, um, you know, for a, a more mature audience. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, if we find something that kind of walks that line, we're going to, you know, we'll put like a, a, you know, a notice on the, on the, uh, all the marketing saying, like, this might be for, you know, older kids or right. adults or whatever um, and just try to be upfront about what to expect mm -hmm. um, but at the same time we don't want to scare people off so it's, it's gonna be walking a fine line but I mean we walk through, we, we deal with that all the time just right. in the shows we choose um, you know it's you know something might you know have a little more language or you know deal with some you know more adult issues or whatever right. um, that's just the nature of presenting that's right. you know that we're just gonna have to we're having to deal with that all the time so this is really no different than that um, but um, you know, if someone comes in with something that's we think is uh, has value and, and and needs to be heard, mm -hmm. I don't want to censor it. So we'll, we won't shy away from that just because of that. Right, and and that's exactly like you're saying. It's it's no different than anything else you're presenting. It's you just inform your audience for those that are making you know decisions on whether it's their child, family members, or or even for themselves of language. Some people have just personal preferences, but sure. it's really just about informing your audience, but not not changing the art or restricting the artist. And at the end of the day, it's art. I mean, not everyone's going to like it. Right. And, or, and they shouldn't. I mean, some of the best art sparks really intense conversations. So um, that's kind of the idea behind it. So, um, right. uh, so yeah, um, you, know, you can't please everyone all the time, and so we're not going to try. <laughs> Great. And that kind of feeds into my last question. In terms of enhancing artists we've talked about, Enhancing audience we, we went into, and, and if you can really go a little bit further into that is, because we know how artists can, how this can help them and how it can help, you know, the space itself of, of adding value to the space. But for audiences, because it's really, like you said, your audience is very diverse. While you are looking for diversity, in terms of, I'm saying, you have families, you have people that come in for different likes and, and all of that. It's a little bit different than maybe a college-run space. It's a little bit different than maybe um, a hole in the wall here that just does avant-garde that goes, that's our theme every year, all year. Mm -hmm. You are for everyone. Mm -hmm. So it's you don't, you don't just stick to one lane. So can you talk about how this, bringing in this diversity, this cultural capital, how it enhances your audience even when they're not sure about it? How do you, how are you for the people that get season tickets but they, they don't select the, one of these shows for part of their season package? So um, can you just go into sort of that relationship with those kinds of audience members? Uh, I think again, this kind of speaks to we're not trying to please all, everyone all the time, um, but we're trying to hit as many people as possible. Um, I think we one of the things that we've always tried to do is have a little something for everyone. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and you know, depending on people's individual likes and tastes, they're going to like more or less, you know, of what we have to offer. Um, but if we try to, you know, cater to everyone or even the lowest common denominator, that, they, you start getting into trouble there when you start right. trying to please everyone. Um, we try to have a balance uh, of, you know, I, you know, even. Um, media like we're you know sometimes we'll have a you know a band sometimes it'll be theater sometimes it'll be a, a comedian or something you know we, we have a lot of different things that we we present um and you know we have a lot of things that we do year in year out just because we have such a demand for it and people would probably write if we didn't have right. these things these kind of traditional things at this point um so yeah it's uh, as far as um what audiences get 
I think they they can <laughs> there's going to be something for for them no matter what they find. But with the Appleify program, they get in they get out of it what they put into it. So if you have an artist, if there's something you want to see, mm-hmm. have them jump on the 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 nomination or jump jump in the submissions. Um, like we will take it, take a look at it. So uh, this is kind of a, really a, a way to open up. Um, the, the season to the community as well. It's like, if there's something you absolutely need to see on our stage, let us know. This is your chance. We will um, do it and do it right. So That's a really great perspective. I hadn't thought about that. It kind of is like the improv uh, tenant of the yes and of, you know, instead of expecting, oh no, you know, people who always love our Christmas traditional shows, if they come at me with this, that, and the other, it, that's a really good point you make of, would you like to see something? Do you have something you'd like to contribute? We'd love to hear yeah. versus a complaint. And I think um, with that kind of mindset, I think that's a really great way of, of handling, like you said, the very diverse different people that come in with different uh, preferences, likes, dislikes, whatever it might be. Um, final thing before we wrap up, is this something that you think can go past this sort of weird space we're in post pand I don't know, I feel weird saying that. Let's just yeah, say... Yeah. Uh, easing of restrictions. Mm-hmm. Is this something that can be maintained? Let's say five years from now, everything's great. No one knows what a mask looks like anymore. <laughs> you know, all of that. We're, we're not angry. Is this something that you see envisioning as just being now part of the cultural capital of the theater? Absolutely. Yeah, we, we built this to be sustainable. Uh, and in fact, uh, in my original proposal, um, I, I put in obstacles. Like, there are some known things that we can think of off the top of our heads that are going to be challenges. And one of them was response. You know, are people going to go for this? And we don't know. <laughs> we hope so. We hope we, we're building audiences. We're hoping we're getting a, a lot of diversity of, you know, artists and our audiences through here. Um, but we don't know how they're going to respond. Um, and so I think what I, something I said in the proposal was this will not be met as a reason to stop trying. This is going to be met as a reason to figure it figure it out like well yeah. you know obviously when we're reaching out to new audiences the same old methods that we've been using to advertise probably aren't going to work because otherwise we would have reached them by now right um so the idea is then to figure out how to then communicate with these people and then um uh do that you know try to try to build audiences by uh diversifying not only our um, our base, but also the ways we communicate. So um, that's um, that's definitely uh, this is definitely something that as long as I'm here, we're mm-hmm. going to be doing. So um, uh, yeah, sustainability is, is a huge part of that. Yeah, it, it started because of I mean, the way things. You know, I think the world is changing right now. Right. Um, so we're just trying to keep up with that essentially. So right. um, yeah, this is something that I, I think is very important, um, and I think is very valuable or at least could be so uh, and again it's brand new we don't know how it's going to pan out so i mean talk to me in a year we'll see how we're, <laughs> we're doing sounds good thank you so much i appreciate yeah of course time.